0: It's time for the Josh Kirby
1: on Sports Podcast.
0: On this edition of the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast, we have a mini top 10 NFL draft preview for you. Along with interviews with a few DC sportscasters on how they're helping the community during this tough time in our world. We also have a special guest to round out the show, so make sure you tune in for another exciting episode. (laughs)
1: I'm glad you connected. This is Dave Johnson, voice of the Washington Wizards.
2: You have connected to the right place because you are listening to my man, Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast.
0: All right. We are back. Yet another episode of the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. Hope you all are doing well. Hope you all are staying safe. As always, we're part of the Mayo Please Podcast Network, and we're sponsored by Route 11 Ships. Make sure you find a bag today inside your local Martin's Food Lion and Giant stores. We are also sponsored by PM Plus Reserves. As always, want to give a big thanks to MPT Now Productions, Dave Johnson, and J.R. Beats Official. We have another packed episode for you on the podcast, starting off with breaking news as of today uh before we do that i want to introduce our special guest um uh he was on last year during our draft preview show and he is on once again it's uh mr josh Vigna um calling in due to the virus so josh uh hope you're staying safe buddy how have you been sir
2: i'm doing well josh staying safe just you know trying to figure out uh This uncharted water here in this unprecedented time, but making do, you know, watching some Netflix, taking some walks, and you know, eating a lot of food. I know that for
0: sure. (laughs) Aren't we all? Uh, Ordering takeout and just filling our faces with food. I've been doing a lot of that. I am guilty as charged. So, um, Josh, the first thing on our agenda before we get into the draft. Breaking news as of today: the XFL. The XFL has suspended operations indefinitely. They have laid off almost all of their staff. And this comes at the midway point of their season when um, the coronavirus hit. They were forced to stop playing games and they said they'd be back next year. And, you know, there were people saying oh they have funding till 2021 so they should be fine but yet again another developmental football league has folded um your your thoughts on this
2: yeah i mean uh, first off i I feel bad for all the workers and players and everyone that's out of a job right now and, and these you know Really uncharted times. You know, you feel bad for for everyone that's put in the time. All, all the players that were still training, you know, thinking that they were going to have a job as soon as this was was over. But um I guess it it could be also a good thing for some of the guys that they could be released from their contracts. They might have a shot back in the NFL. Some of them might be able to even get a shot in the CFL. So you know, there could be some good that could come out of this. But you hate to see all the people that, um, you know, lost their jobs today. Um, you know, especially the people that, you know, you don't really think about the creative team, the marketing teams, um, you know, everybody behind the scenes, from, you know, that was extra money for the concession workers at, at the stadiums. I um, mean, you know, uh, St. Louis uh, was really getting behind um, their team there for a while. And it seemed like football is back in St. Louis. And, you know, yet again, St. Louis loses another football team. So it's, it's, a sad day for the people that that are working that lost their jobs, but you know, for the guys that are playing, it might be a a, a blessing in disguise where you know they have maybe a shot at making an NFL team here uh, in the fall.
0: Yeah, and we have seen. um where the XFL allowed players to sign to NFL teams during free agency. And we have seen some players um, from the XFL sign with NFL teams. um, If looking back to our free agency podcast, so pretty sad news there in the XFL. um, But hopefully this is an opportunity for players to get another shot in the NFL and, cfl so um, moving right along to our main storyline to start off this first segment um the nfl draft is right around the corner and they are still hosting it it's different it's all virtual format um according to nfl commissioner roger goodell um in my opinion, I'm just going to throw this out there once. This might be a setup for the Patriots to cheat again since there's technology involved. Um, I, I'm not sure if that will happen or how locked down the system will be. Roger Goodell and the NFL tech team will make sure the Patriots have no part in hacking, I hope. But and anyways, um, the Times called for a virtual draft but um what are your thoughts on the way this draft is going to be different than others in years past Josh
2: well i think it's going to be interesting maybe um you know you might be able to see more players uh you know at their homes they might have maybe a live stream i don't know if they're going to do you know zoom um will you see players with a bunch of hats um you know will you know will they have 10 people at their house you know But it's it's kind of very unprecedented um you know will they have a big cookout will they have a lot of people probably not i mean because you're under the uh the federal guidance here to have you know no more than 10 people in, in an area but uh it's definitely interesting i don't know you know what exactly is going to happen because you also hear that you know NFL team executives, you can't think about you think about that. You can't have all the people in the war rooms. Um, you know, are the GMs going to be doing stuff, um, you know, on Twitter? Are they going to be doing stuff interacting, you know, on Facebook? You know, how, how are the – even the insiders going to know who's going to take what? Um, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see, you know, how the NFL does it because they're really the first one um, that this has kind of happened to um, in terms of the draft. So it'll be. It should be interesting to see how how they basically set, um, you know, how maybe the NBA might move forward with their draft and how the NHL and MLB might move forward with their draft um, if this does last longer than you know, say June or July.
0: Yes. Yeah, so um, I did not even think about the federal guidelines there with a no more than ten people in a space at a time. So um. Yeah, yeah, I think Zoom, the video conferencing app, Zoom, will really be taking off on draft night. Draftees calling their family and friends via Zoom. There might be Zoom parties set up, but it's definitely a learning curve, but something that can be accomplished within today's day and age with technology. So. Without further ado, what, what we're going to do is talk about our uh the top 10 for us. We're going to look through our top 10 picks, um, who we think is going to get drafted to who. And we're going to have some fun with this, talk about some guys we like, and so on and so forth. So you ready to start this thing, Josh?
2: Yeah, let's rock and roll.
0: Let's go. So, um... Well, we're basically going to talk about, about round one, picks one through ten. But before we do that, let's just give you the whole 32. Starting off number one, two, three, and four, you got Cincinnati. Right behind them is Washington, the Detroit Lions, New York Giants. At number five, the Miami Dolphins, number six, the Los Angeles Chargers. Then the number seven, eight, nine spot with Carolina. Arizona, and Jacksonville. Number 10 with the Cleveland Browns. 11, 12, 13 is New York. The Las Vegas Raiders and San Francisco off a trade with Indianapolis. 14, 15, 16. Tampa Bay, Denver, Atlanta. Then Dallas and number 17. Then you got some interesting stuff here. It's, um 18, 19, and 20. Miami w- from a trade with pittsburgh las vegas with a trade from chicago in jacksonville from a trade with the rams then 21 is philadelphia 22 minnesota a trade from buffalo for that stefan diggs trade i do believe then you have 23 new england 24 new orleans 25 minnesota again 26, Miami from Houston, 27, Seattle, 28, Baltimore, 29, Tennessee, 30, Green Bay, 31, San Francisco in the last pick in the first round, the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Wow, that was a mouthful, but I'm glad we're just doing 10. So starting off round one, pick one, Josh, it's pretty obvious, um, uh, I I think Joe Burrow is the question. He has proven uh, proven himself to be a very outstanding quarterback. Won the national championship for LSU. Won the Heisman. He he seemed really great. But um, always my thing with quarterbacks: how are they going to translate into the NFL? My number one, um, the Bengals will be picking Joe Burrow in my mock draft.
2: Yeah. I don't see how they can not not take him, um, considering you know that is one of their biggest needs. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, they did fill you know some some of the defensive holes, but I mean they just they need help across the board. That's why they were you know two and fourteen last year. But I mean you know you you build a a great team two ways. You, you start with a great defense and you have a franchise quarterback. You know, so I, I think they. They thought Andy Dalton was the answer. He had some good years there, you know, not great, you know, some good years. Made the playoffs a couple of times, but you know, ultimately didn't get get the victory. Um, but you know, maybe Joe Burrow's the answer. Local kid, Ohio kid. Um, you know, maybe he'll he'll generate some buzz for for that franchise that desperately um has you know been looking for a Super Bowl victory, uh, for for quite a while, and even even a playoff victory um so you you know joe burrows probably barring some you know unforeseen craziness um should be the number 1 overall pick
0: yeah i mean cincinnati bad all around and you you got to build a team from the quarterback in, you got to build around a good quarterback. You can't throw a quarterback into a system and say, "Hey, win us games." That will never work. I've seen that happen before. But Joe Burrow, he he's only 23 years old. He, if the Bengals can manage him properly, I think he could be a great addition to the Cincinnati Bengals. So, moving on to number two in uh, the Washington Redskins. Um, I'm not really sure what the Redskins will do, you know, because the Redskins are the Redskins. Chase Young will be on the board. He is the number one rated prospect in this draft from what I have seen. Um, It's going to be hard to pass up on Chase Young, Josh, but the Redskins have two options here. Draft Chase Young or trade down.
2: They're not going to go O-line. I mean, with, uh, you know, Trent Williams um you know i don't know if that's a it's a reach to take an offensive lineman at this point i don't know if they love someone i mean ron rivera he's kind of a defensive guy um you know former defensive coordinator for the uh, for the bears um so you know I, I i don't see how you cannot not take chase young he's probably the best prospect in the entire draft you know he's going to you know Get your production, but you know Ryan Kerrigan's getting up there. You know, um, do, do they do they pass on him? Um, does does is this where they try to package get the package from you know say Miami? Does Miami move up and you know take someone that they fall in love with? Um, you know, so I think this is where it's going to get interesting. I think everybody's sold on Cincinnati. Um, you know taking Joe Burrow but this is kind of where the draft starts you know do we see a trade here or do we see Chase Young come off the board or do we see Washington be Washington and take some random guy that we don't even think about that they are high on but I think with Ron Rivera in there um I think I think they should at least take Chase Young
0: Yeah, uh, Washington's defense with Trent Williams, that's just a whole cancer to the team now. But they do have Brandon Sheriff, I've heard, um, that Sheriff wants to sign long-term with the Redskins and be a Redskin for life. They still have Ryan Kerrigan. So, uh, you know, just some pieces they need to fill in at the safety position, cornerback position. But, you know, if the Redskins can bolster their defense and stay healthy. The Redskins can have a good defense. So um yeah, I I agree. I I mean looking at this draft, I think everybody's sold on Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati and you, you know so much can happen between 2 and 10. I feel like like number 3, the Lions, I feel like the Lions have um are going to trade back um as well because you you look here at the draft order you got the lions at three and you got miami and los angeles who might want to jump up if the redskins take chase young and don't trade back i think detroit might have an an opportunity to trade back get some more picks so miami or los angeles can shoot for somebody they love
2: yeah i agree i think i think I think you're going to see more trades this year than last year, and I think there was a lot of trades that did happen. Um, you know, I think with Matt Patricia being being the head coach of the Lions, I think he learned a lot from Bill Belichick. Um, you know, get as m- much draft capital as you can. Um, you know, I'm sure that teams will be calling this number three spot. You know, did they did they fall in love with you know you know another quarterback? You know, did they someone fall in love with Tua? he's supposedly written the number two quarterback on the on the board. Um, you know, do we see uh Jeff O uh I can't I don't I can't pronounce the name. Okuda come off the board here. Um or is this where, you know, Isaiah Simmons, you know, there's a lot of ways that, that you know, Detroit can go. I, I know that they need help um at the corner spot because they did lose Darius Slay. Um, you know, do they get another weapon for, you know, Matthew Stafford? Is this where, you know um C D Lamb, Jerry Judy, someone in, in, in the wide receiver spot come off the board. Um, you know, I I still think Jerry Judy's the number one uh rated receiver, but you know, you have some guys that are still high on C D Lamb. Um, you know, that could be another weapon for, you know, Matt Stafford. So Detroit has all the options. Ultimately, what do I think they're gonna do? I think they're gonna trade out, um, fall back a couple spots. So it'll be interesting to see who does come come up. And take it. But if they do end up making a pick, I would think that they would need to add some, either the cornerback spot and Jeff Okuda or Jerry Judy.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's a toss up there. Like, you, you, like as I said earlier with trading back or taking your pick, it just depends what teams can offer and if they're convincing enough to it's, uh, move back so the Teams like Miami, Los Angeles can get who they love. Um, Number four, the New York Giants. um, This is a toss-up, in my opinion. Um, I'm not really sure what the Giants may need. Only thing I'm thinking of is offensive line help. You know, with Eli Manning, his last season, he got pressured a ton. Daniel Jones got pressured some. Uh, I, I think the Giants' main concern is... Beefing up the offensive line to protect Daniel Jones moving forward in his uh, second season with the New York Giants.
2: Yeah, I can't can't agree more. I think offensive line is going to be be where they go. Um, I I don't really see them trading out. I don't really feel like they need need to, need to trade out or do anything of that nature. Um, you know, it could also be um, you know maybe trying to get another weapon for Daniel Jones, but ultimately you got to protect the quarterback and they weren't very good protecting, um, you know, Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. So I do think they go offensive line here. Um, Either they're uh, Tristan Warfs from Iowa uh, or Jaderic Willis Jr. from Alabama.
0: Yeah, I I really do like Jaderic Willis. And if Jaderic Willis is on the board, I think the Giants are going to take him. Um, you you know Alabama players. The Redskins have picked some, but uh, Nick Saban builds Alabama players well, and uh, what I have seen, um, they translate really, really well into the NFL. So, offensive line there for the Giants. Now this is where it gets really interesting at the five and six spots. You have the Miami Dolphins in the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, the Miami Dolphins they will either be picking Tua or Justin Herbert the, the that's my prediction here because um the, my my thing is with Tua he got injured at Alabama and i i don't believe he played again after that so i i'm not sure after this injury if that's going to change Tua at all but I, I mean, I'm sure he has had a great rehab team to uh, recover him well, getting him ready for the NFL, but still, he suffered a major injury, and who knows if he's going to be the same like he was at Alabama, and I, I think if the Dolphins have concerns about um, Tua and his performance after his injury, then I feel like um Justin Herbert might be the next man up and Tua will fall to the Los Angeles Chargers in my opinion because I I think I don't want it to happen but I think the Chargers are going to have to draft another quarterback to play behind Ta- Tarod Taylor. I really do like what Tarod brings to the table. He played decent in Cleveland but you know after um leaving um from Buffalo to Cleveland and he w- went and just backed up Philip Rivers. I think this is Terod's moment to shine with the Los Angeles Chargers and I I I don't see a way around the Chargers not picking a quarterback but I think the Chargers are going to pick somebody to learn from Terod Taylor since he has had some experience in the w- league whether that's Tua, Justin, um, Herbert, or somebody else, uh, the five and six spots are locked in at quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, I'm not sold that that Tua is 100% healthy. Even though there's been reports saying that he will be ready for camp, I, I just don't see how you can invest top five pick on a kid that gets hurt or has been hurt has more has had multiple surgeries and he isn't even you know, 23 years old um I, I can't see how you can you know justify that but you know the dolphins have done crazier things um you know do they fall in love with Tua? do they fall in love with as you said justin herbert you know who's who has shown that he can get it done justin herbert um you know they also need help at the safety spot. I wouldn't be surprised, you know. Does Grant Delpit come off the board here? Um, I'm really high on him. The kid from LSU. Um, you know, do they wait and take a no-name quarterback that you know that they're high on? Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what the Dolphins do. Do they go quarterback? Do they go safety? Do they go O-line? So, um, you know, I'm not sold on to us. So I think if they are going to take a quarterback, it will be. Um, and Justin Herbert
0: yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised either if Tua falls either even farther down the draft because I'm in the same boat as you I'm not bought that Tua is a hundred percent healthy after sustaining an injury like he's had there's a lot of recovery time involved in who knows if he'll be the same quarterback that he was at Alabama
2: Oh, yeah, it should be interesting, you know, what will happen, you
0: know. Yeah, something to watch for uh, through the progression of uh, next NFL season. So, moving on, um, the Chargers, um, they're picking a quarterback, um, like I said earlier. Um, Number seven, Carolina, Um, I think they're going defensive at the cornerback position. A lot of great options at the cornerback position. I like Jeffrey Oduka, if he's still on the board. Um, but, it, you know, the Panthers are I, – I think they need to improve on defense. Ron Rivera got shipped off to Washington after he got fired last season. Um, but I, I think the Panthers really need some work on defense. Um, offense with Teddy Bridgewater – at the position of quarterback. Now um, I think their offense is fine. Nothing first round major they need to get, but um, I, I like uh, Jeffrey Aduka, um from Ohio state to fill this role for the Panthers. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, anything can happen. Like the, the seven, eight, nine and 10 spots on my board, I feel like are toss ups because i I'm not really sure what the team needs are a hundred percent like i could i i mean I've been doing some research, but the thing is like it's so complex like it's a toss up some teams need help in multiple areas, but what's the most important you know
2: yeah, I agree um you know, I think losing Luke Keekley. Um, you know, do they take Isaiah Simmons from Clemson? Do they wait to take a, a linebacker later in the draft? You know, do they go D line? Do they take an edge guy? Do they take a, you know, more interior guy like Derek Brown from Auburn? Uh Javon Kimmel from South Carolina. Um, you know, even on the edge, you know, we don't think Chase Young is gonna be there, but is uh Calavian uh from LSU or even Yitor Gross maltos uh, from Penn State, still going to be there, um, who's probably the third best um, edge guy in the draft. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what Matt Rule does. I think they do need to find a replacement at linebacker, so I do think they, that they will go linebacker um, at, at this spot. I don't think you can pass on a guy as highly rated as Isaiah Simmons is. Um, 6'4", 238 pounds, you know, that that's, that's a whole lot of Uh, you know, it's a whole lot of men, um, that, uh, that they'd be passing up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There you got the eight, nine and 10 spot to round out the top 10. You have Arizona Jacksonville and the New York jets. Um, Arizona, uh, offense is pretty loaded with Kyler Murray weapons, of Larry Fitzgerald and traded for, um, DeAndre Hopkins, which is huge. I think the Cardinals are focused on the defense, boosting up their defense. Jacksonville, I could see them going for a wide receiver. Um, Gardner Minshew is the starter there in Jacksonville now. Why not throw in another weapon? Who knows? Um, the Jets, I, I could see them going offense or defense. That's why I said the 8, 9, and 10 spot are pretty much toss-ups. In this rounding out the top ten,
2: yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see you know where they go. I think um, you know the Cardinals will want to take an offensive linemen to protect Kyler Murray eventually one of the, with their higher picks, you know. But they also were atrocious on defense, um, you know. So do they do they go defensive line? Do they go um, add another weapon, as you said? Do they go? They have all these wide receivers, but do they? Uh, you know, does the first tight end come off the board here, you know. Um, so it should be interesting to see, you know, what they do, you know, because um, the highest rated tight end um, by some of the projections is number 60, uh, Cole Komet, and then there's uh, an intriguing player that we'll talk about here uh, a little bit later um, that I have that I want to talk about, is, uh Adam Troutman from Dayton. Um, so, you know, tight end, I feel like you can get clear in the draft. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see truly what they feel their biggest need is as an organization. Um, as far as the Jags, well, I mean, you 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 have Yannick um, Ngokwe. He was, you know, your your franchise tag, but he said he doesn't want to be in Jacksonville. You know, no offense, I don't blame him. You know, he's a great a great player. Um, you know, he's only getting these one year contract, he's looking for a more, more long term deal. Um, so it should be interesting to see, like you said, you know, where they go. Um, do they, you know, go cornerback, you know, do they go offensive line, do they go running back and the same thing with the Browns, you know, they're loaded on offense, but their defense was atrocious again. So, you know, do, do they help go get a linebacker, or do they go get a safety? Um, you know I to be even surprised if they go offensive line um you know to help protect um Baker mayfield, so it should be interesting to see you you never know you might even have Cleveland, Jacksonville, or even Arizona trade back and get more picks
0: so yeah absolutely it, it's a toss up like we both said, so um that's the top ten our thoughts on who we think are getting picked. In this year's NFL draft, as I said earlier, it is a virtual format, no draft site or anything. So it's really going to be interesting. So rounding out this segment, um, let's go over some players um, you like, uh, some players I like, um, who we think is going to be good this um, uh, coming out of this draft.
2: Yeah. Um, so the one player that stood out, Um, like I told you, was um the tight end from yeah was the tight end from Dayton. Let me find, find his exact stats here. Where did I?
0: From Dayton. That that's a pretty small school for uh somebody entering this draft. Um, Dayton. You don't really hear a lot of players from. That. Yeah, he
2: was he was uh, very productive um coming out of coming out of date, and he had over 1500 um 1500 yards um you know so it was uh he was a very productive player and I they think he could potentially be um you know a number one tight end uh, in the NFL so it should be uh interesting to see where he goes. I think he could be one of the highest rated um Dayton players to ever yeah, come out.
0: Yeah, but tight end, I, I mean, the tight end value, I feel, is really dropping. Like, uh, You you don't really see a position that, wait, no, not tight end. I was thinking a fullback dummy. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, I'm I glad mean, it's he, Friday. He,
2: he's He's 6'5", 255 pounds, so he's a—he's uh, yeah, definitely I... got the size. I mean, and it's especially Dayton's a unique school because it's, it's a non-scholarship school, so kids go there and they pay their own way. Um, so, you know, he didn't really have, I guess, I don't know if he didn't really have many FBS or FCS offers, um, but, uh, you know, it should be interesting to see where he goes. He's one of the top, top two tight ends. Um, so he can, you know, potentially go in the first three rounds.
0: Yeah. And uh, my apologies. I meant to say fullback because I I, I thought for some reason you said fullback, but uh, I'm sure you get what I'm talking about. Uh, one person I want to talk about in particular, he's um sort of down there on the rankings from some of the projections that I've seen. JK Dobbins from Ohio state. I think he's going to go off the board pretty late, but I think he can make an impact for an NFL team. Um, we were talking on the free agency special with Jason Kamlowski and Dan Dembski about um, running backs and how you shouldn't really overpay for running backs. I feel like J.K. Dobbins, he's going to be looked over and just grabbed by a team for a minimum average running back con- uh, contract, and he he's going to surprise some people. Oh,
2: yeah, he was productive, very productive at Ohio State.
0: Yeah, and uh, looking here, I mean, I, I, I can't. Jordan Love, he he's down there low on the rankings, quarterback from Utah State, but I think he can make a difference with the team. I don't think he'll go up that high, maybe first, early, second round, but – yeah, you have a lot of people you have uh Bryce Hall a quarterback from Virginia um just looking over some of these Jalen Hurts he is down there on the list though can you believe Jalen Hurts ranked 70 uh ranked number 70 according to sportingnews.com so um very interesting to see that there from Oklahoma after his amazing season last year with Oklahoma after transferring to Alabama.
2: Oh, yeah. It's definitely surprising to think that uh, Tua is rated higher than Jalen um, after all that said and done. But uh, another guy that you probably don't even heard, have heard of is uh, Kyle Duggar, a safety from Leonard Ryan, D2 school um, down there in uh, North Carolina. Um, he's going to be one of the top safeties to come out, and they think he's going to be you know, one of the highest rated um, Leonard Ryan selections probably in the first two rounds. Um, another guy from D3 school in St. John's is Ben Barch. He's an offensive tackle. He's humongous. He's 6'5", 309. Um and he and he held his own uh at the senior bowl and he shot up uh draft boards. Mm-hmm. And then another local guy here, uh Antonio gandy Golden, wide receiver out of Liberty, who's six four, two hundred and twenty three pounds. He could go in the you know, mid rounds um to someone looking for some, you know, wide receiver help. He's uh definitely 22 reps on the combine you know he's definitely an interesting prospect
0: absolutely a lot of interesting prospects this year and i think the draft is going to be really exciting with this new mobile format um virtual format no um site as i said earlier so it's going to be really interesting to see here josh so um before we end this segment, are there any last thoughts you have on um, this 2020 draft coming up?
2: Well, it should be inter- interesting to see what the Dolphins do in the first round considering they have You know, so much draft capital. You know, I don't think they're going to use all their first-round picks. I think they're going to stick with two. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up moving up um, from the number five spot. Um, You know, it should be interesting to see what the Steelers do with not very many picks, Um, you know, considering they do have their first round pick and Minka Fitzpatrick. um, You know, where do they go with, you know, very few picks? So, um, you know, it it should be interesting to see see what happens.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are, too, Josh. As always, you can follow at JK Sports on, no, excuse me, at Kirby on Sports on Twitter to catch all the draft um, news and notes live from draft day. I will probably be live tweeting um, all the draft selections and everything. So once again, that's Josh Vigna with our 2020 Top 10 Draft Preview. Josh, thanks so much for joining us
2: been a pleasure, Josh. Had fun.
0: As always, the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast will continue right after this. Thank you once again to Josh Vigna for calling in to talk the 2020 NFL Draft. Coming up right now, my conversation with both Joe Beninati, TV voice for the Washington Capitals on NBC Sports Washington, and Charlie Slows, radio voice of the Washington Nationals on 106.7 The Fan, and how they are helping our local area food banks in the D.C. metro area, in the D.C. Central Kitchen, Martha's Table in the Capital Area Food Bank. First off, Joe Beninati. All right, we're back. Another segment on the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast here with one of the D.C. sports broadcasters that have come together with a lot of different uh, sports broadcasters from the Nationals, Wizards, and Capitals. Uh, With me right now is Joe Beninati um, to talk a little bit about the – the support they have been giving to um, local food banks in the D.C. metro area. So, Joe B., thank you so much for calling in. Um, first off, um, hope you're staying safe out there. And just uh, tell us a little bit about um, uh, what you all are doing to help these food banks out.
3: Josh, it's uh, it's a pleasure of mine to speak with you today. Uh, all the D.C. sportscasters pretty much were rallied or together by um, – FP Santangelo and John Walton. There's a an app out there called Cameo, and people can go to it uh, either through the app or Cameo.com, C-A-M-E-O.com. And the guys thought it would be a good idea for us, since we have a lot of downtime right about now, Josh, to to get together and do some fundraising for the needy, for the hungry in the DC area during these very very difficult times. So they they coined it as the Voices of DC Sports. And there's a couple of different ways that people can pledge money to help some of the local food banks. We're we're helping Capital Area Food Bank, D.C. Central Kitchen, and Martha's Table. And you can do it in either of two ways. You can go to Cameo.com or go through the Cameo app and look for the commentators section. That's where you'll find all the D.C. sports announcers. Pledge, I believe it's $25 for the pledge. And you you choose your particular sports broadcaster, tell them who it is that you'd like the shout out to go to, give them any direction as far of a, as far as whether or not it's a birthday wish or an anniversary wish or what have you. We put together a nice, you know, minute-long cameo for them and, and it turns out to be great. A lot of the proceeds are going to those area food banks. There's that way to do it. You could also text DC Sports altogether. DC Sports to four four three two one to donate without the cameo, but it's been fun. It's been keeping us busy. It's um, for me. It's a it's a a much needed distraction, Josh, from everything that's going on and everything that's not going on. I, I miss sports a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We all miss sports. And uh, one thing you have actually helped our fans to do is actually you and Craig Lachlan, your broadcast partner, have um, started calling NHL 20 games um, simulated the rest of the cap season. They ended up winning the rest of their games in this simulation. So uh, how is that calling a video game? Would you, Did you ever imagine yourself calling a video game on TV?
3: I'll tell you it was a lot of fun. A few years ago there was a a company out in the Bay Area, Josh, that asked me to put the voice over to a virtual reality game. I'm not a gamer. I've never really been a gamer uh, interested in that line, but you know, all of a sudden there was this company in San Jose, Joe, we want you to help us with a hockey game, a basketball game and a football game and it was all virtual reality under the mask with the controllers and I could see easily where people get hooked by this, but what Locker and I were doing for those NHL 20 EA Sports games was something totally different. The computer ran the simulation. Folks at Monumental Sports and Entertainment helped us with that. They edited it down. We saw the video and put our voice to it in one in one take, in one line cut. That would give you the the voiceover track, and then the people at NBC Sports Washington married it all together included some uh, some on-cameras and open and in between periods and a post game and it was nicely packaged into a 1-hour TV show and we did 7 of them it's amazing how fast they've come and gone but now there's no more to be done uh but it was it was different it was um difficult at times because you really can't tell the difference size-wise between let's say oh, Tom Wilson and Nick Jensen, because all the video game guys are all the same size. But things happened pretty quickly. I think it was it was smooth between me and Locker. And again, even though he was in his basement and I'm in my office, it seemed to come off pretty well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great production there by you all. So, uh, Joe B., just some uh, quick questions for you. Do you think the NHL will be able to salvage the rest of this season due to the virus?
3: very difficult question and anybody who says they have the answer is lying to you because we don't the only part the only thing that knows what's going on is the virus and until we can do things safely um, I think it would be irresponsible to get big groups of people back together now if you're talking about quarantining and going to specific sites and not allowing the fans but televising all these things are on the table Josh and I'm sure that the, the league commissioner his staff, all the Board of Governors, the Players Association, they're all trying to figure out what it is that they can do, what is feasible. And at the same time, as each passing day goes by, I'm sure their options become less and less. And what's most important for us right now and what I pray for every day is that some of the brilliant medical people around the world, who I'm sure have been working on this 24-7 now since it cropped up, are going to find a medical breakthrough that's going to be able to keep us safe. But I don't know what the timetable for that would be. You can hear all the speculation you want about July, August, September. Um, I just want us all to be as healthy as we can be. And if that that means that we don't necessarily crown a Stanley Cup champion this year, while that would be sad, uh, I think what's more important now would be to make sure that we're all healthy and moving forward both personally, professionally, and from a business standpoint. If we had to go to next year, we, we go to next season, and if it's done on time and safely, that's what matters to me. Don't rush this to get back to do a Stanley Cup champion and, and risk further infection before we have the medical treatments that are going to keep people safe. I, I I know that the leagues are not going to act uh, until they get a real solid green light from the medical professionals.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. They can't really move forward unless they know what what this virus is going to do next but um uh Joe B uh interesting cap season nonetheless so far up until the start of the virus um can you give us sort of a quick recap in your uh in your mind on how you enjoyed the season and talk about witnessing Ovechkin's 700th goal as well
3: let's start from back to front the 700th goal was amazing um, this player is a one of a kind and I don't even think that we can fully appreciate what he's doing right now while it's happening. I think 10, 15, 20 years from now, you'll sit there and go, my gosh, were we lucky to live at the time of Alex Ovechkin's play in the NHL? It's just, he's that special and marvelous achievements. And I know that he burns more than anything to win another title. Josh, well, you know, the, the goal scoring record of Wayne Gretzky is out there. And it's far off, trust me, it's such a big number. But I don't think that's the number that's first in Alex's mind. I think the number two is more than anything in his mind, as in two Stanley Cups. Now, whether this team was good enough to do it, you know, that's the start of your question. And to me, at the beginning of the season, they were very, very good. Their record was brilliant through the first half of the season. And a lot of the times, Josh, they were outscoring some of their problems. Um, I don't necessarily believe they were as good as their record might have indicated, 40-some-odd games into the season. But that tended to catch up with them as we were going towards this NHL pause. There was about six to seven weeks there where they were only 500 team and it was worrisome. And if there's anything positive, perhaps, from pausing the season like this, the Capitals are one of the older teams in the league, if not the oldest by average age. And I don't know if we even return, and that's a huge if – if you return, how any of these breaks will, how this break will deal, will be dealt with by any of the clubs. Think about all the teams that had major injuries who've now been healing. You know, if we don't play till August per se, uh, you'd have everybody back healthy and it'd almost be a restart. The Caps were one of the best teams from the restart of the league. I don't know if they could get it together during any Stanley Cup playoff tournament format, but You like their chances. They're built to win now. And every season that goes by that they don't, I think, you know, what's that expression? The window closes a little bit more. But I really enjoyed the way this team played the first half of the season. They have a brilliant offensive makeup. Defensively, they were challenged. I thought the addition of Brendan Dillon was was something that was much needed around the trade deadline. He's been solid. I wish he would spend a little less time in the penalty box. To me that was the biggest trouble spot for the Caps uh this season Josh was too many penalties putting themselves into too much hot water and that stressed the defense out and they've been giving up a lot of goals cumulatively but for me I, I would love to see the season resume only if we can do it safely and if so you'd have to consider the Caps a contender in the East right there with teams like Boston and Tampa Bay, and Philadelphia, which I thought was playing the best hockey of anyone when the NHL hit that pause button.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really crazy. Philly went on that huge run of wins, and then the nhl season just paused i thought that was crazy but um once again um joe beninati coming together the dc sports broadcasters on cameo you can find them on cameo get your own personal shout out and also you can uh donate by texting dc sports to 44321 joe b we sure do miss your voice um You have an iconic goal call when a capital scores a goal. And um, I wish you all the best. I hope you're staying safe. And thanks once again for um, calling in for the little bit of time you had.
3: Yeah, Josh, same to you and yours and and all the Caps fans out there, uh, everybody here in the DMV. Uh, I hope everybody does stay safe, stay at home, and we'll get through this and it'll be – It'll be great to see all the sports teams back on the fields and back on the courts and back on the ice, but only when it's the right time to do so. In the meantime, everybody take good care.
0: Absolutely. We'll be right back right after this. Once again, a big thanks to Joe Beninati for calling in earlier this week. Coming up next, my interview with the radio voice of the Washington Nationals on 106.7 The Fan, Charlie Slows. All right, another guest we have on the podcast now, part of the DC Sports broadcasters, um Contributing to the local D.C. area food banks in Martha's Table, D.C. Central Kitchen in the Capital Area Food Bank. Once again, you can donate by texting D.C. Sports to 44321, or you can find anybody, any of the D.C. Sports broadcasters on Cameo. And a person I have on the phone with me now um, to talk about this is... um, radio voice of the Washington Nationals, Charlie Slows. Charlie, want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on the podcast. Um, first off, how does it feel to finally be a World Series champion broadcaster?
1: Well, oh, that's, that feels great. It's felt great since it happened back in uh, late October. And, you know, a lifelong dream to be a part of something like that. And, you know, obviously we were all hoping to be back at it by now to, be there for opening day and the raising the championship banner and the players getting their World Series rings. But as you know, everything on hold at the moment. But, you know, I'm confident at some point that's going to happen.
0: Absolutely. Are you all all staying safe so far?
1: So far, so good. Uh, uh, Everything is good with my family. Um, You know, we're we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're staying in unless absolutely needing uh, to go out to, to get groceries or whatnot. Otherwise, our... Outside is consisted of whatever we need around our home and a little bit of exercise, whether it's going for a run or a walk or a bike ride. Otherwise, that's been it. Mostly, you know, you're doing these things on your own or, or, you know, with a family member, but you're, you're doing that distancing as well
0: yeah yeah um i i know the feeling absolutely so um charlie i want to get your take on the um dc sports broadcasters coming together to do these cameos for the local area food banks in the dc area um have you enjoyed doing cameos for these people the specialized shout outs and uh what what are your thoughts and um how much have um you all raised roughly so
1: far I'm not sure of the exact amount at the moment. I know our goal was ten grand, and we were we were well on the way to that. I know I've done right around a thousand dollars so we have fourteen different uh broadcasters doing them, so you figure if everybody's around the same, then we've probably hit that goal or exceeded it uh at this point. but it's been fun people's uh requests have been interesting, most of them have been shout outs of encouragement to you know people who are uh health workers frontline workers during this uh coronavirus uh Uh, situation. So uh, just trying to inspire them or, you know, season plan holders are a little down because the season hasn't been able to start and they're confined at home. I've even been telling kids to make sure they get their homework done. I've done some people's voicemail. Uh, I've done a a mock play-by-play scenario, plugging in a fan's name, uh, hitting a home run, hitting a walk-off, whatever kind of idea that they come up with. That's what uh, I've been doing. And so I've done about 50 of them so far, and they've all been interesting. They've all been fun. Uh, and uh, hoping to do some more, all for a good cause.
0: Absolutely. You can find Charlie on Cameo. Um, just go under Broadcasters and search up Charlie Slows. And um, if Cameo isn't your thing, once again, you can text DC Sports to 44321. Um, Charlie, you um, started a podcast called the Curly W Live Podcast with your broadcast partner Dave Jagler going over some of the key play-by-play moments from your time in the booth. Um, How has that been going so far?
1: Well, it was supposed to be we start out doing great games, talking about great games in national history, and so with uh, coinciding with after the radio broadcast replays on 106.7 of all of the postseason wins for the Nationals. Now they're being rebroadcast on television and on the Nationals' Facebook page. So now we are, you know, Dave and I are reviewing our thoughts on those games with audio highlights inserted as well uh, from all of the postseason games. We've done the wild Card game, and then each series thereafter has been a separate podcast. So uh, the National League Division Series, Uh, podcast dropped yesterday we've already recorded the national league championship series and we're going to be doing the world series later in the week and uh they'll drop in in the coming days uh part of a series of different podcasts that the nationals are doing now at curly w live with uh there's one with interviews from media members and front office members that's called curly w live from the field and uh, they're going to be doing another one, Curly W, live from the stands shortly, asking fans to send in their remembrances of uh, how they took in the postseason and what their uh, thoughts are on different moments. And then they're going to they're going to put a podcast together from from uh, a fan's perspective
0: it seems like a lot of podcasts are rolling out for the nationals during this time of quarantine so um charlie in your opinion um do you, um i'm not sure if you've heard that the mlb is looking at a, a thing to play regular season games in arizona with no fans um uh what what are your thoughts on that do you think that's actually going to happen
1: Really hard to say at this point. I think you, you still have too much of the unknown. Um, you know, certain parts of the country, as we speak right now, are are still hitting to their surge of cases of the coronavirus. Uh, I don't know what that will mean in Arizona. I understand the premise where you'd put all the teams in one place, and that would take away the traveling part of it if you had 15 ballparks available, including Chase Field. Indoor uh, retractable roof uh, ballpark. That's the home of the Diamondbacks and then all of the other spring training facilities But there's certainly a lot of other hurdles to uh, to be involved. They talked about uh, Teams staying in hotels and not being able to go out at any other point Uh, Where do family members come into that will family members go with them? And of course, you know How many other people will be involved if there are no fans whether television crews Radio crews um, I think that I think it's an idea open for discussion, but i I don't know if you can clear all the hurdles what if what if a player doesn't feel safe doing it? what if they're worried about you know uh, certainly testing and uh, being able to figure out if, if people have had the coronavirus and have the antibodies for it? Um, other people who haven't had it um, you know how often are they going to test people to make sure that everyone playing a game or involved uh, with a game or a broadcast in, in the facility coming in contact with anyone else is not asymptomatic, you know, hasn't had the virus symptoms but could be carrying the virus. I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions before you get to that point and that's why I think Major League Baseball shortly after that story came out that uh, was written about by some of the national writers that MLB came right out and said that, you know, they're that's one of the ideas under discussion, but that they're in no way ready to go forward with anything like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, a virus like this, they you just have to wait it out until it's over. Like um, uh, like Joe Beninati said earlier, I was interviewing him earlier. He was like, you, you got to make sure every um don't rush anything just make sure everybody's staying safe in that this virus is in the clear before we start any anything which i think the mlb is doing so um charlie um we all know the story 19 and 31 for the washington nationals going on to win a world series uh you were in the booth for all 162 games plus the playoffs um You've seen it all, the highs, the lows. Um, Can we get your thoughts on that historic season for the podcast?
1: Well, it was an amazing season, Uh, something that you could not predict, a script that you would never have come up with. Uh, Certainly the injuries they had seemed like the team was falling apart on the field at 19-31. You wouldn't have thought they could survive that and end up doing what they did. It was an amazing run uh to get to where they they were and you know when you got to September and especially when they came back and won that game against the Mets, the You Blew It game where they came back with seven runs on seven hits in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh you just had the thought then that, that you know they had a real good chance if they got into the postseason to make some hay. And that's certainly what happened.
0: In and then moving on to the wild card that game where it was like oh man they're down three runs to nothing, then Juan Soto. Has that crazy hit that the Brewers player just blatantly misses the ball and ends up winning the game for the Nationals, and so on and so forth. Um, give give me some of your memories from this past season that really stand out to you, sir.
1: Well, there there are a bunch. If you, if you were to go back through the season, I mean, certainly uh, memories of the nineteen and thirty one start uh, from from that point. You're thinking, oh my goodness. Uh, this could be the worst year the Nats have had in a very long time, uh, but they were able to turn things around in June. I mean, you remember the Max Scherzer, the the, the broken nose, black eye game after fouling a ball uh, into a space and then coming back and pitching terrifically the next day. And then the Nats started to beat up on some of the the have-nots that they were on the schedule in June: the Royals, uh, the, Kansas, the Kansas City Royals, Detroit Tigers from interleague play, and then uh, they played a couple of series against the Marlins and I think by the time they got to the all-star break you felt a little bit better about the team they were back uh to 500 and, and a chance to have a winning record of the second half of the season but you just didn't know with all of the injuries max uh after that uh performance uh wearing the Expos uniform throwback started to have the back issues and really wasn't much of a factor for them over the next couple of months so How are you going to survive not having Max Scherzer? Well, they got some good performances from Austin both. Eric Fetty filled in, Joe Ross. They were were basically taking the four and five spots in the rotation because Jeremy Hellickson was hurt. So certainly they didn't have the rotation that they hoped to have, but they were getting through it. They didn't play well against the Braves. They ended up losing record against Atlanta and never really made much of a dent in catching them. Even though when you look at the final standings, you see they finished only four games back. But a lot of that had to do with the eight-game winning streak down the stretch, and the Braves lost some games. Uh, so they were able to trim that deficit down to four games at the finish line, but never really caught up against them. And they didn't really play well against the Mets. They, they had a losing record in the season series against the Mets during the season. So uh, you just wondered, uh, could they beat a really good team in the postseason? The wild card game certainly is a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen in one game, but you felt like, well, if they got past them, you're going to have a tough time against the 106 win Dodgers. You know, the, the wild card game is a great memory uh, for a lot of folks. That's the greatest you know win they've ever seen at Nationals Park, as you mentioned, down three nothing, down three one when Josh Hader comes into the game at the bottom of the eighth inning and some great at bats there, including Rendon working the walk to load the bases and. You know, then the baseball gods finally, a bounce went the right way for the Nationals. When Soto hit that ball in the right field, uh, Trent Christman had no business trying to charge and scoop it. He had no play anywhere. His best option would have been even to go to a knee to make sure that ball stayed in front of him and get the ball into second. That would have tied the game, and the Nats probably would have had runners on first and second or first and third. But instead, he charges, it takes the bad op and goes by him. He never gets a glove on it. 3 runs score on the play. And Soto ends up uh, getting caught in a rundown to make sure that they didn't throw home and the run was score to give the Nats the lead. Amazingly, uh, they score three runs against Josh Hader and Daniel Hudson comes in and closes it out and they win that game. And then so many memories in the in the division series, uh, particularly you know when I think of Game Four and Zimmerman's home run that put them up five to one, getting on top of that high fastball from Pedro Baez and then the game five down early and down three to one in the eighth inning when Rendon and Soto hit home runs on consecutive pitches to tie it and and then really a stunner was Joe Kelly pitching the ninth inning and coming back and pitching the 10th really surprised us and I didn't think he'd be facing the top part of the Nationals batting order and that really backfired on Dave Roberts eventually Howie Kendrick hitting that grand slam that Gave the Nationals a 7-3 lead and basically propelled them to the National League Championship Series. And then from there, it seemed like the Nationals were on a high. They rolled through the Cardinals. They swept them in four games. And then, of course, the amazing World Series where the road team won each and every game. And the Nationals just continued. When they won, they would come from behind to win. Uh, you, you think about games in the series with the Cardinals uh, where Annabelle Sanchez has the Noiter into the eighth inning. A one nothing lead. Game two, they led. Uh, the Cardinals series seems like the only time they didn't have to play come from behind. And, of course, in game four, they scored seven runs in the first 18 pitches of the game to be up 7 nothing, and eventually win that game to sweep the series. But, you know, the World Series was, was different. The Nats were seemingly playing from behind all the time. And when they won, they came from behind to win, especially late in games. Uh, in the four games that they won, it seemed like they outscored the Astros. It was something like 17 to nothing from the seventh inning on in those four games.
0: Yeah. And um, funny thing about the world series, there were some crucial plays that could have been turning points like that. um, Um, I'm not really sure if it was a blown call. I've talked to some colleagues who are umpires who said they made the wrong call with Trey Turner down the first base side, interfering with that play and Dave Martinez getting red hot and actually getting tossed out of game six. Um, You look at that. And then right after that, um, I think it was Rendon, if I remember correctly, stepping up and hitting that home run and it goes to game seven and, the nationals are r- rock solid but um the main question here is um wh- what are your thoughts about everything that happened in the astros organization um they've pretty much cleared house due to the cheating scandal and next thing you know if everything's on pace the nationals will be playing the astros on July 4th weekend pending this whole virus thing in Former Nationals manager Dusty Baker will be the new manager for the um, Houston Astros.
1: Well, the one thing you don't know is about the schedule. Um, I don't know if they'll just pick it up where they would have been in the schedule just from the standpoint of if you're going to have your division's competition being equitable, you've got to play more games in your division than you do against everybody else or, you know the the schedule for teams competing each other to win a division won't be equitable. They won't play be playing the, the same number of games against the teams in their division. Some might be playing more interleague play. Some might be playing less if you just pick up the schedule, say, on July 4th or wherever and just go from there. So I kind of think the schedule, if it's reduced to 100 games, whatever it may be, is going to be scaled back so that you're still playing more games against your division opponents than you are against the others And they would have to be equal amounts against the teams in your division There has to be some equi- equitability in the schedule uh, For the competition within the divisions uh, of the major leagues. So I'm not sure that the schedule will will be the same All that all that being said as far as you know, the Astros clean house on only the manager the general manager Everybody else is still there, including their video people, uh, people put together their algorithms back in 2017 that were interns that became general managers. They did not essentially clean house of all of those people who were definitely involved in the in the functioning of, of what the Astros did in 2017 and what many people think beyond that.
0: Yeah, Um It's crazy stuff there, but uh, Dusty Baker getting the nod as um, new manager um, after um, taking a front office role for the San Francisco Giants. Um, uh, What what do you think about that move, Dusty Baker, um, moving on to the Houston Astros?
1: Well, From the Astros' standpoint, I think they're trying to gain as much credibility as they could within the game. And somebody who's done it right his entire career. Uh everything else aside, you know, you know, from Dusty's standpoint, it's a chance to win again win again with a team that certainly uh has the talent to do so. And, you know, his goal is to manage a World Series champion. The one thing that's that's left that's not on his resume and you know, he's close to two thousand wins. I think either of those two things, the two thousand wins or a world championship gets him into the Hall of Fame, and I think that's that, that's certainly a personal goal for him.
0: Dusty Baker mentioned that he wants the league to step in and protect his players before this virus hits. Do you think there's going to be a lot of um, uh, bad tempers when teams are playing the Astros due to this cheating scandal in terms of, like, throwing pitches at players we've seen it some in spring training but do do you think that's really going to be an issue throughout the season once it starts
1: um i don't think so um i think there's just gonna be too many other things that uh we're coming back from uh this problem this this thing this break probably helps the astros in that cause but i think as far as what happened in spring training i don't really think they were throwing at guys were getting hit with changeups and breaking balls and um, when when you have pitchers from lower minor leagues pitching early in spring training against anybody, whether it's veteran players or not, I, I don't think that's that's really anyone throwing at anybody at that point. So, you know, I, if you were going to see that, it would be in the regular season, but I, I really don't think that's going to be something that's going to be as prevalent now after everything that's that's occurred.
0: All right, and um, I talked to Bob Carpenter earlier in the um uh, about a month ago about this, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Anthony Rendon moving on to the Los Angeles Angels. Um, um, how are the Nats going to handle the loss of Anthony Rendon? Um, do you see any player that is set to replace Rendon, or are they still looking?
1: Well, right now, I, they're not doing anything, but you know I think they were hoping that Carter Keboom was going to be the guy to start the year at third base. If not, then I think it was going to be as Drupal Cabrera or maybe Starlin Castro over there, and whichever one is not playing third would probably share time at second base with Howie Kendrick, and, and I think that's how it would look. Then you'd have uh, a platoon at first base with Ryan Zimmerman and Eric Thames. So I think best-case scenario... You're, you're looking at Carter Key Boomer, a combination of veteran players. And I think there, none of that scenario replaces what Anthony Rendon was able to do at this point of his career. I mean, Nationals pretty much would, would be first to admit that that's, that's a really tough loss, losing uh, Anthony Rendon at this point, uh, especially with the year he had last year. That's a tough one. You know, You're, you're replacing big-name offense two years in a row. They were able to do it last year after bryce harper moved on you know now you're you're being asked a lot uh, to fill rendon's shoes defensively and offensively and i you know I, I don't think carter keboom becomes that guy right away maybe down the road but again uh, he's played very very little third base in his career and i think he's going to have to learn that position more from a defensive standpoint than learning how to hit in the major league. so i would not be surprised if and when we have baseball, if he's not ready, he starts the year in the minor leagues.
0: You're, you're probably hoping for baseball soon. I am too. That's Charlie Slows. Uh, once again, great insight. Uh, the radio voice of the Washington Nationals on 1067. The fam, once again, you can find him on Cameo if you want a personalized shout out. Um, or if not, text DC Sports to 44. 44- Three, two, one. And Charlie, uh, can you remind us where we can find the Curly W Live podcast?
1: Oh, well, you can find it anywhere that you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, or just uh, on the internet, go to Curly slash podcast, and it'll show you on the Nationals website. Uh, you can listen to it right there or the places that you can get the podcast.
0: Just like the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. Once again, Charlie Slose, thank you so much for calling into the podcast. I hope you and your family um, stay safe. Um, We will get through this together, and I am much looking forward to hearing you and Dave calling Nationals Baseball on 106.7 The Fan.
1: Thanks, Josh. You stay safe, too.
0: Yes, sir. The Josh Kirby on Sports podcast will continue right after this.
1: The Josh Kirby on Sports podcast, part of the Mayo Please podcast network, is sponsored by Route 11 Chips. Make sure you grab a bag today inside your local Martins, Food Lion, and Giant stores. And our new sponsor and fellow sports fans at PM Plus Reserves, providing reserve studies for homeowner and condominium associations in the Washington metropolitan area for the past 30 years. Make sure you check us out on all streaming platforms via the Mayo Please and the Josh Kirby on Sports podcast. You can also find the Josh Kirby on Sports podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, along with the Mayo Please on Twitter. Have any questions for the show? Feel free to shoot us an email at kirbyonsports at gmail.com.
0: Once again, a big thanks to Charlie Slows for calling in. Um, coming up next... I have a very special guest, the radio voice of the Virginia Tech Hokies, John Laser, calls in to talk about Virginia Tech Hokies football and his role as a play-by-play broadcaster. That's coming up right now. All right, we're back another segment on the Josh Kirby on Sports podcast. Um very special guest um calling in today. Um the voice of the Virginia tech Hokies on the Virginia tech Hokie sports network for Learfield IMG college. Boy, that's a mouthful. Um, but (laughs) that's a mouthful, but, um, it's the one, the only John laser, the voice of the Virginia tech Hokies football and basketball. Um, John, thanks for taking the time to be with us on the podcast today. Um, First off, are you staying safe, and how are you handling this whole quarantine situation?
4: Yeah, first of all, my pleasure to be with you, Josh. Glad that this worked out, and that is the one aspect of the quarantine that's been nice, as we certainly had plenty of time to uh, talk about sports, so whether it be in this format or others. So, yeah, absolutely. My wife and I are just kind of hunkered down here in Blacksburg, got back the day after Virginia Tech basketball lost in the acc tournament on that tuesday and that wednesday as we were drifting into the off season was kind of the day when all of the dominoes started falling and sports basically were canceled in mass so we've just been hunkered down here in blacksburg ever since and just kind of taking the news as it comes and trying to adapt hour by hour like everybody else but blacksburg is not a bad place to be hunkered down when you're trying to social distance because there's just not a not a ton of people here particularly with the students gone
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. I was just down there, um, about a month ago with um our very own Dan Dembski. and um, it just uh, the the amount of stuff that has changed in the af- athletic complex is amazing. So um, uh, moving on, I want to sort of get sort of a background um um in our in. In your interview you had with Arveria and Dan Dembski, I saw that you attended Brown College and gave you got the opportunity to work for KFAN in Minneapolis covering the Minnesota Vikings and the Twins. Um, am I correct on that?
4: Yeah, you are. That opportunity with KFAN was really the one that Opened the door for me for a lot of things. It's a station now that's widely considered, along with WFAN in New York, is probably the top two sports stations in the country. And you're right, I got thrust at a very young age and at a very low experience level into locker rooms at the highest level: the Vikings, the Timberwolves, the Twins, the Wild, and the uh, University of Minnesota Gophers, Golden Gophers. So. Uh, It was a lot of learning on the fly, but an awesome opportunity, and I did that at first simultaneously when I was at Brown, and then once i had earned my degree, just stayed on there as an intern for a few more months and then was hired on in kind of an hourly producer role. Eventually, it was more than that and was play-by-play, and things just blossomed from there, so definitely that's a great place to start when you're looking back on where I started because that was certainly the most beneficial early experience that I had.
0: Yeah, you can't beat that early experience in this um, field of work. So um, what you covered pro and you're covering college. So is there a big difference between covering pro sports and collegiate sports?
4: There is, yeah, because when you're covering professional sports, you're largely dealing with athletes that are adults and a lot of times in college you're talking about literal kids when they're 18 years old and they first get here but we still refer to them as kids when they're students and there's just a different way that you have to approach that you know the many years that i spent in baseball that was all around professional athletes it's okay for example if you were going to go out grab dinner grab a beer grab a wine whatever the case may be you can certainly communicate with them in a different fashion then you do. It's oftentimes I compare it to teachers and students. Teachers aren't going to talk to students the same way that they would talk to other teachers. And that's essentially the same way that it is when you're talking to professional athletes. And that doesn't mean that you can't form close bonds with college athletes. You definitely can, and I definitely have. It's just a different type of relationship, more of a mentor-mentee, regardless of what aspect of the particular sport you're discussing. So there absolutely is a difference. And there's also a difference when you're talking sport to sport, when it becomes college and when it becomes professional, professional baseball is a wildly different thing than college basketball, for example.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what made you decide to settle down in Blacksburg and, uh, work for the IMG Learfield college, um, for Virginia tech?
4: Well, I had been in baseball for quite a long time. After I left KFAN all the way back in 2003, for the first time, I struck out and started my play-by-play career, and I gave myself the road of going to do the work. I chose to take the road of going to do... The work and back then it was essentially be paid by the game and baseball had the most games so i took a play-by-play opportunity in the northwoods league it's still a thriving summer collegiate league back in 2003 with the saint cloud river bats and partly because i think i was doing well i was starting to discover what my style was on the air and i was willing to move Uh, i kept getting opportunities to advance slowly through baseball and that took me to St. Paul, Minnesota, from St. Cloud, then out to Washington State, to Pennsylvania, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, to Montgomery, Alabama, to Richmond. And that sounds like a quick thing, and it really wasn't. The next thing I knew, it was 2015. I'd been in baseball for 13 years. I kind of felt like I had not plateaued, but was getting a bit frustrated with not being able to advance to the major league level for whatever reason. Part of that maybe being that that wasn't the path that I was meant to take and while in richmond i made a lot of contacts not necessarily intentionally some of them directly through the ownership group with the baseball team that i was working for the flying squirrels that had ties and important ties to virginia tech so it became one of those things where Bill Roth chose to leave to go to UCLA. Hey, this thing is open. Some people approached me about it. Uh, one thing led to another, and it was an opportunity that, quite frankly, at the time, my resume probably didn't dictate that I should have gotten over some guys with a lot more experience at the lower levels of college athletics than many times, or in many cases, even in the Power Five. So it wasn't something that I decided to settle down. It was almost like at the time I kind of won the lottery because Going through the process was a lengthy one in terms of the interviews and the meeting people and the coming here and going through that. So, when I was given the opportunity, uh, I felt like it was the opportunity of a lifetime and it certainly lived up to that. And as I'm talking to you tonight, Josh, we just wrapped up my fifth season, which is incredibly difficult for me to believe because, in a lot of ways, I still feel like I just got here.
0: Yeah, amazing opportunity there. You're landing ACC, a top five, a pretty big school and a rich history in Virginia Tech. So tell us what it was like um, covering football games and basketball games and getting just to know the coaches and the players like Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, and just covering the Hokies.
4: Yeah, Frank Beamer is a good place to start because when you start any conversation about Virginia Tech football, generally if it doesn't start there, it's going to get there pretty quickly, and that's kind of the knowledge base that I had. I'm from the Midwest, grew up in Minnesota, knew of Virginia Tech largely because of Michael Vick, and that's what I think a lot of people's national perception of the program is, Michael Vick and Coach Frank Beamer, so I feel incredibly fortunate that my first year was spent working with and for Coach Beamer in 2015. And also it certainly forced me and challenged me in a lot of ways to relate to our fan base through some emotional times when he he elected to retire and made that announcement in the middle of that season. So uh, certainly like everyone else, I was saddened that the Frank Beamer era was coming to an end. But again, very grateful that I got to know him during that season personally. That relationship continues. I continue to see him a lot throughout Blacksburg and talk to him and just in awe of who he is as a person. So that transpired in 2015 following that. You know, again, I think you're always very fortunate when you're in a place and a new head coach comes in because he needs to lean on you a little bit. And that wasn't something that I had experienced in my first year because I was trying to follow in the footsteps of, of course, a legend in my position, but also working amongst legends like Coach Beamer and Coach Foster. So you just kind of do what has always been done. When you're trying to follow that up when coach justin puente came in in my second year it allowed me to kind of point him in the direction that i saw in terms of our vision for where we wanted to take our broadcast where we wanted to take some of our imaging and he has been amazing in allowing me to do that he's much more close in age to me than coach beamer was obviously from a different generation so it's been a lot of fun it's been very really gratifying for me to get to know him get to know his entire coaching staff bud foster is one of the finest men that you'll ever meet. It has nothing to do with football. Uh, he's just one of those guys. You call him at 2 a.m., tell him you got a flat tire and you're two hours away. He's going to drive out to help you uh, and put aside all this fame and all this success. He's just that type of guy. So, uh, you know, I've loved getting to know and creating relationships with that generation now that is largely gone, but has meant so much and will continue to to Virginia Tech. But I also delight in getting to know the people that are carrying the torch forward, like the Justin Fuentes. And now the coach, Mike Young, on the basketball side, Buzz Williams was was a whole nother thing in terms of creating relationship with him. He's one of the most unique people that I've ever met in my life. He challenges you in a variety of ways, professionally, personally, just in the interest of trying to improve everything that you do from an all around aspect. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss him, spending time with him. But at the same time, he departs, Mike Young comes in, and he's a phenomenally special person in his own right. So As you can tell in that wide-sweeping answer there, Josh, you get to know so many different people. I didn't even touch on any of the players or anything like that. Uh, But I think one of the biggest uh, aspects of my job that gives me joy is football and basketball. Although they're both Virginia Tech, they're both in the ACC, you play the same opponents, of course, a lot of cases – it's a wildly different thing. So you go through these massive stages in football where if you're playing well, you find yourself on. You go into basketball and you find yourself in these historic venues. And last year in the Sweet 16, playing Duke in Washington, D.C., and you know, I look back at all the ways. I just wanted to get my hands on a microphone back in 2000, 2001, when I was an intern at K-Fan, and uh, just to see the things and the places that I've been able to be a part of uh, sometimes you forget about, which is awesome. You know, this, just this morning, uh, I was entrusted with doing a, a Zoom interview with with Coach Fuente. The public, the fan base, hasn't really heard from him much since this coronavirus outbreak, and everything's been shut down to a large degree. And, and so, to recognize, as I'm sitting in my apartment and uh, trying to envision what the messages that he would want to get out, and trying to formulate my questions that way. So it winds up looking that way. You realize what times, what an incredible responsibility it is. So it's awesome, man. And as you can tell, even five years in, there's new things, there's new people, there's new experiences, and and that continues to make it extremely gratifying.
0: So you have been in contact with Coach Fuente since uh, the coronavirus, correct?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I spent about an hour with him this morning um, on a Zoom meeting, (laughs) Zoom interview. He was in his basement. Yeah, everybody's using Zoom (laughs) nowadays. I don't I didn't know what Zoom was two weeks ago, Josh, and I will tell you I am a master at, at...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I, I'm on the same boat, but um can you give us any information about how um I, I know there's some sort of off season conditioning or something with each college. Uh how how are the players like staying fit and staying active. I know there's no spring game now for Virginia Tech. That got canceled. But what's the mindset moving into the next football season with this coronavirus and, like, social distancing and whatnot? Well, I think the first
4: thing that he told me, and listeners of your podcast can check out a lot of that content eventually on uh, Virginia Tech's football Twitter. I think they're going to start releasing some of that Friday. But the overarching message is, football is fine and we absolutely need to and want to be ready when we start playing again and when they're allowed to start practicing again. But guys, even though a lot of times we consider big-time college football, NFL football, Major League Baseball to be the end-all, be-all, there are very rare occasions where that takes a complete backseat to something. And this is that occasion. So the first thing that Coach Fuente wanted to emphasize was his guys aren't here. They're not being watched by him and his staff physically right now. They're all home. They're scattered throughout the country. There are a handful of them that are here in Blacksburg rehabbing. So his biggest thing is making sure that they're being smart about social distancing, about how they are handling themselves and staying home and all the things that you're hearing in terms of national messaging right now. He wants to make sure that they're doing that and staying safe and keeping their family safe in terms of your question uh to how they're staying physically in shape you've seen various unique ways that they're working out whether it be a garage weight room or they're training in their front or backyard or they've got a friend with them from the team or they live close by to somebody from another team certainly our assistant coaches and our our strength and conditioning staff to whatever degree they're allowed By the ncaa are i'm sure making recommendations on workouts that they can be a part of and what they should be eating and all of those things but again the all-encompassing thing is to stay safe the other part of that is trying to maintain a handle on not only where all these guys are but where all these guys are academically because with the switch to online classes and that just sharp departure from their normal and from their routine academically again the goal is be in physical shape, be in good academic standing, and be in a good mental place once you're ready to hit the gas again, whenever that may come, hopefully at some point this summer.
0: Yeah, and on- online learning, another thing I didn't even get to touch on, uh, obviously that's some sort of big learning curve, but do you think they're like, with the NCAA as much as they can allow with all their rules and regulations, but are there, are they monitoring their grades and stuff with that? Or, um, uh, since this learning curve is in effect, um, what's that like?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, you have your academic advisors, you have your tutors, you have the people, that work with any football program, whether that be a power five program or not, or or football or not. Basketball certainly has that too, and as do all the other sports. So those folks are continuing, even though that's now in a virtual role and maybe screen to screen rather than being in the same room in a study hall. uh, Absolutely. They're monitoring that. They're helping more than anything uh Just like they always would in terms of the academic health of, of all of these athletes, whether that be football, basketball or softball or baseball or whatever sports just had their seasons disrupted. So that's a huge thing. But at the same time, for those people, they're learning how to do that as effectively as possible on the fly, just like the rest of them. They're learning how to learn. They're learning when they're supposed to be online and when they're supposed to be in class. But uh yeah, make no mistake. They're not leaving them out there by themselves to fend for themselves for sure.
0: Yeah, so classes are still going on as normal, just all online. Correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I see there. So um, definitely a big learning curve, but um, with schools these days, you uh you gotta have academic advisors like that. I've seen that in Last Chance You on Netflix. Um, so uh, something probably bigger than that, but. But moving on, uh, John, I, I want to talk about this past Hokies football season. Um, they went eight and five. Um, I, I'm sure you remember the six overtime thriller against UNC. You must have loved calling all six of those overtimes plus four quarters. <laughs> but um, uh, give us like a, sort of an overview of how you thought the season went.
4: Yeah, it was really interesting. It was a season of massive highs and massive lows, and not necessarily in that order. You were coming off the first losing season in well over two decades when you rewinded two years back, and a lot of that was the fault of youth and inexperience. Virginia Tech was one of the youngest football teams in the country, so you knew that you were still going to be relatively youthful coming into this past season, but you also felt very confident about what you did have returning and what you were bringing in. So the team opened the season against Boston College on the road, and I remember leaving the hotel feeling very optimistic about the season and what it was going to look like, Uh, and they wound up losing that game, didn't play well, turned the football over five times and were a minus five and the turnover margin then came home. You had the games, your guarantee games, where you're paying for wins, and the Hokies struggled to get them. They struggled against Old Dominion. They struggled against Furman, uh, but ultimately got the wins there. And then things bottomed out. With their second conference game, they played Duke at night. They just got absolutely pasted, just could not stop the Blue Devils, their option attack, any anything that they were doing offensively. And the bottom fell out for quarterback Ryan Willis, who started the season as the starter. And then you're thinking, sitting there, at two and two oh my god this is going to be a historically poor season fan base was up in arms twitter was on fire uh you know all the other social media channels as well you go down to miami you don't realize the struggles that they're going to have that of course the season and you think you've got an uphill climb bang you beat miami on the road you change quarterbacks to hendon hooker going into that game you nearly despite an injury to hendon hooker knock off notre dame who was a top 15 team at the time on the road, arguably should have won that game, but won six of seven. Now you're feeling great. You're a fringe top 25 team. You've got an opportunity after you pitch a shutout in Bud Foster's final game at Lane Stadium prior to his retirement, which was a storybook type of game against Pitt. You go down to UVA, a team that you've beaten 15 times in a row. You win, you go to the ACC championship game and the Orange Bowl, and you lose for the first time in 16 meetings. And then things just obviously weren't to the level that the fans wanted at that point because you lose to your rival and that automatically makes a disappointing season. Added to that losing in the Belk Bowl to Lynn Bowden, who's nobody's favorite in the Hokie fan base. Uh, and finished eight and five. So again, when you're sitting at two and two against Duke, you would have gladly taken eight and five. But then after you real lost six and seven, six and seven, and nearly beat Notre Dame on the road and go into Virginia as a favorite, uh, it was disappointing
0: from that point. So it was a lot <laughs> of things all in one season for sure. Yeah, so there was a lot of quarterback controversy from what I have uh, I have seen in this past season for the Hokies. You have Ryan Willis, like you said, then you have Quincy Patterson getting some snaps in Hendon Hooker. Well, was there like not a clear decision on like who we want starting or were they just testing each guy out? I'm not, I, I, I wasn't really sure about that throughout the entirety of the season
4: no it certainly wasn't a quarterback controversy ryan willis has earned the right to be the starter coming in if you rewind to the year prior josh jackson broke his leg during the old dominion loss on the road never returned in the course of the season, Ryan took over at that point as the starter, played very well, led the Hokies back to the brink of a winning season, led them past Virginia, kind of single-handedly with an extremely youthful defense, kept the Hokies in some games, So he won the camp competition between himself, Hendon Hooker, and Quincy Patterson. really wasn't that close as it pertained to Quincy. It was kind of him and Hendon Hooker, and I think everybody, including the coaching staff, felt like Ryan Willis was ahead quite a bit of those two guys and he was a guy that had an elite iron talent but for whatever reason when the light came on to start this past season and man just didn't perform at the level that he had last year instead of taking a half step forward like he had anticipated he took a full step back uh it wasn't all his fault obviously didn't have a ton of experienced weapons around him didn't have a great running game the offensive line really struggled, but in that Duke game, again, to use the same term, it kind of bottomed out. So it wasn't a controversy. It was just the fact that you were in a football program at the time that needed a jolt. Justin Fuente felt like the decision to make that change to Hendon Hooker right then was the right one. That certainly turned out to be the case. The reason that you see Quincy Patterson getting some snaps, winning that North Carolina game, playing the entirety of the Notre Dame game was because Hendon Hooker suffered a minor knee injury, but then once he came back, it was his job and had there been spring football going into it, he would have been the incumbent and expected starter, despite the fact that you still have Quincy on the roster and you also have Oregon transfer, Braxton Burmeister.
0: Absolutely. So um, m- uh, previewing sort of next season, the defense, the historic lunch pail defense will be without Bud Foster as he announced his retirement um, this past season. So um, what what is there to look forward to? on the Virginia Tech Hokies defense? Is there going to be a young coach, or um, is there going to be a lot of learning differences, challenges, or how is this defense going to be looking?
4: It should be one of the top defenses in not only the ACC, but in the country. Bud Foster uh, was very careful about when he retired because he didn't want it to be a situation where he was leaving a youthful defense or leaving the cupboard bear or whatever cliche that you want to use and he didn't and justin fuente announced that justin hamilton would be taking over as defensive coordinator he was a coach that was already on staff he was also a guy that was a standout safety here at virginia tech played in bud foster's scheme understands the mentality and the tradition and history of the lunch pail defense so it remains the lunch pail defense Bud foster i know from having talked to him privately uh, very happy with the fact that Justin Hamilton is the one taking over. That doesn't necessarily mean that the scheme's going to be exactly the same. And obviously they're not the same person. So in the flow of a game, maybe the defenses won't look the same. Maybe the blitz schemes won't be the same, won't be the same timing, but it will be of the same mindset. And you look at the fact that this defense is a defense that basically returns everybody except Reggie Floyd, who was an outstanding three-year starter, four-year at the rover spot but you already have a ready-made understudy coming in in your highest ranked recruit over the last 10 years and devin hunter uh, who's finally ready to step in and other than that you have 10 starters coming back and you also have some transfers coming in on the defensive line as well so this defense should be locked and loaded you feel like you have the best corner tandem in the acc caleb farley is probably a guy who After opting to return, could have gone to the NFL this last year, hoping to play his way into a top two round pick and probably will just based upon his body type Uh, and across from him, you have another corner as well. And you actually start to get to the point where you have a lot of depth on the defensive side. So this is a season that this program defensively has been looking forward to a long time. It's kind of ironic because Bud Foster isn't there, even though he's basically the guy that built it. Uh, But certainly he won't be too far from the sideline when it comes to fruition.
0: Absolutely. Just like Frank Beamer, I feel like Bud Foster will be closely connected to this football team somehow. So um, moving on to basketball now, um, if I'm correct, you've covered just boys basketball or do you do both boys and girls yeah men's and women's um yeah men's basketball is my primary
4: responsibility in terms of the radio on our virginia tech sports network which is 35 stations give or take when it comes to basketball and i've certainly enjoyed that and that's obviously been my primary focus but i have gotten involved a bit with the women's basketball side with the advent of the ACC network and beyond that, the ACC network extra, which is our internally produced broadcasts that now go out digitally when the schedule allows and when men's basketball is not traveling. And I'm here the expert. I've basically picked up all of those games for women's basketball. So it's allowed me to be a part of both programs, which has been a little of fun because of course, Buzz Williams had it rolling with three consecutive NCAA tournaments there in a sweet 16. Last year, Mike Young comes in, takes over. Everybody has quickly acclimated and gotten comfortable with him because he's from this area. But then on the women's side, Kenny Brooks, it won't go down this way, unfortunately, in the history books because the tournament was wiped away, but certainly had led his women's program back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 14 years. And they were prepping to make their first appearance since 2006. So basketball is in a good place. And I feel fortunate to be part of both programs, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um Mike Young, you do you think he is fitting in well for the um uh, for the former head coach Buzz Williams because Buzz Williams left his mark on Hokies basketball and it was such a great mark. One of the funniest moments ever and you might remember this. Um um but Buzz Williams he gets so fired up that he has to change his outfit during halftime
4: yeah that was pretty much his mark at halftime he would definitely a lot of times when i first got him, he would go from dress attire to a t-shirt or a long sleeve t-shirt and in later years he went to the vest and the vest carried him through and he stopped doing that but yeah he was uh as i mentioned earlier he is one of the more intense people one of the more unique people that i've ever met certainly i think history will remember and i hope that it does quite frankly the energy and personality he put into Virginia Tech basketball to make it relevant again. It's been a tremendous amount of fun for me to be a small part of that, but also to see the in-venue atmosphere growing, becoming again a hostile environment like it had been previously at Castle Coliseum, talking back into the 70s and again in the 90s, uh, and for a couple of seasons there under Seth Greenberg too, but not to the level that Buzz took it to. Uh, and then Mike Young came in, and just to talk about a guy that fits easily into a position. He grew up in Radford, which is just the town over from Blacksburg. His dad was a, a well-respected educator, and unfortunately, just passed away a couple of weeks ago. But certainly, was a family that is embedded in this community. He bears that personality that's gone to taking to calling him Frank Beamer and sneakers, <laughs> which is certainly high praise. And having spent time with him on the scene and behind the scenes, I can certainly vouch for the fact that he is every bit the genuine article. So exceptionally fortunate to have spent that time with Buzz Williams, his staff I have no doubt that he will flourish at Texas A&M. Uh, owe him a debt of gratitude for what he did for Virginia Tech basketball, despite the fact that they leave after five years. And now just stand and, and sit tremendously excited for what the Mike Young era will be. Uh, including this year had some high moments that we weren't anticipating, but then next year as you really start to see him put his stamp on the roster and be able to play his style, which is a wide open NBA style offensive system. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah. So uh, the basketball season was cut short, um, not only for the Hokies, but for the rest of the teams who punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament. Um, uh obviously it was the right call, but um how how do you think everybody felt um not just Virginia Tech but other colleges? Uh, how do you think that was that there's no NCAA tournament, there's no champion that's going to be crowned this year?
4: Well, it was interesting for Virginia Tech on the men's side, they were done. And they had lost, like I mentioned, the nights before the cancellation of all the conference tournaments and then the cancellation of the ncaa tournaments. so their season had concluded at 16 and 16 they were done maybe they were going to get uh, an outside bid to the nit but i didn't think that was going to be the case so you're in a weird situation where you're okay we played our slate of games and now let's get back on the recruiting trail and rebuilding the roster for next year i know on the women's side having talked to kenny brooks some of his assistant coaches they were crushed because, like I said, they had done all the work. They had played their way back into the bracket. They were going to go to the NCAA tournament, and that's not something that has happened in a long time around here. So I haven't necessarily had discussions with the players from that team because they were gone when we got back and haven't returned from wherever they were at that at that moment and in that week. But I can only imagine that they're beyond crestfallen and crushed because they were going to give the, have the opportunity to represent Virginia Tech in the ncaa tournament from a grander or in a grander scene and for the big picture It's surreal, Josh, it really is. And, you know, I mean, I'm a kid that grew up absolutely loving March Madness. I created a March Madness dome in my parents' living room with multiple TVs with the rabbit ears and all the things you had to do, jimmy-rigging direct TV boxes back then to try to get multiple games and creating a bracket and all of those things. So just the iconic things in sports, absolutely, March Madness and the NCAA basketball tournament being one of those, but the masters being another, no major league baseball right now, Wimbledon canceled today, no Kentucky Derby. I think it just speaks volumes about the serious nature with which everyone should be taking this coronavirus threat to our health, to our national security, and to our economy, because that's as big as it gets in sports and in a lot of people's worlds, including mine, sports is the biggest thing outside of family. So when those things go away, Uh, you know, it's going to be something that we talk about for decades, if not longer, it's going to be a part of the history books that in 2020, there was no NCAA basketball champion on the men's or women's side. There was no NCAA college world series winner, but also there was no threat of a triple crown in horse racing. There was no master's champion. There was no, none of those things. So it's almost the year that never was. And, uh, I think again, it's a apropos, if not overused term, but it, it is absolutely surreal.
0: Uh, What's your opinion on the NCAA um, not letting winter sport athletes extend their eligibility, but spring sport athletes are?
4: Unfortunately, I think that they had to do it. And a lot of times the NCAA gets ripped and I'm one to do it at times when I don't think that they're organized or you can't, you don't have transparency in terms of what they're doing. But from a financial structure and the model with which you give scholarships and you're financially liable for those, uh, you just couldn't do it. You couldn't rewind it to winter sports. It's good but don't get me wrong. Spring you had to do from a public relations standpoint for all of these athletes that essentially had their seasons wiped away to a 70 to 80 percent scale because that's where some of them were, most notably softball and baseball here in the spring. But it's going to cripple a lot of athletic departments financially trying to figure out how to take on the new scholarship athletes that they have coming in next year, along with the ones that will return. So we haven't seen or heard the last on how this is going to work out. But again, I think the NCAA, as they so often are, was in a position that was not going to allow them to look like the winner coming out and and in a relatively thankless position between a rock and a hard place. I hate it for the winter sports athletes, particularly the ones that had postseasons coming had opportunities at chasing championships and all of those things but at the same time when we're looking at the bigger picture of what people are losing throughout the country whether it be their family business whether it be their lives actually in some cases from a medical perspective whether it be the normalcy of their life or their ability i think we can all agree that unfortunately some of these other things are going to go with it. And that is, of course, just a ramification of the situation that we're dealing with. So absolutely, we feel tremendously terrible for those athletes that have lost that year of eligibility. But at the same time, there's no feasibility to do it. And I think the NCAA did the right thing.
0: Absolutely. So, um, John, um, rounding out um, our segment here, can you give us some of your Uh, Top memories um, calling Virginia Tech Hokies football or basketball. Give us some great memories you have witnessed and you were able to call in your five years at Virginia Tech.
4: Yeah, I'll start with Coach Frank Beamer, as as you and I were discussing just a couple of moments ago. I had the privilege of calling his final game in Lane Stadium. It was an overtime loss to North Carolina. I think it was the first time, I shouldn't say I think, I know it was the first time, and I think it will be the last time that I see a coach carried off on the shoulder, shoulders of his players following a loss. It's a moment that I've continued to take with it I, with me. I thought it spoke volumes about how much he meant to not only that team, but to this area, to this university, to this fan base. Uh, and then being able to bounce back the next week, his final regular season game, being a victory against Virginia that also earned them a bowl, a bowl opportunity that year in the independence bowl and going down and winning that and being able to call his last game. That was a, a privilege and an honor for me. Same thing with Bud Foster, seeing the euphoria when they pitched a shutout, his defense did in his last game at Lane stadium, being able to call that. And then also seeing his heartbreak along with the rest of, Virginia Tech and his team when they lost to Virginia in his last regular season game and then losing in his last game in the Belt Bowl to Kentucky. And you you kind of see the highs and the lows, but again, to to be able to be there and provide the soundtrack for that and for those two Hall of Fame worthy coaches, but also men, uh, was an honor for me. Just in terms of thrilling games to be a part of, the Sweet 16 game against Duke last year was just and out of this world atmosphere in Washington, D.C., Duke fan base was there. They were loud, but not as loud as Virginia Tech, Sokie Nation, who, of course, has a ton of residents up in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. They were out, they were loud. It was a, an awesome ride to get there and then culminating in a phenomenal game with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, of course, the stars of Duke, but then you have Carrie Blackshear and Justin Robinson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and others for Virginia Tech and to have it end in that heartbreaking moment where Med Hill can't finish at the rim to send the game into overtime. So that's one that I'll always remember. That was one where walking in, you really felt like in my particular case, I had ascended and and earned the opportunity to be at the absolute highest level of sport. And that's what you're looking for when you're starting out, obviously. So that sticks out. The Hokies in the ACC championship game, having an opportunity to take down Clemson back in 2016, Gerard Evans willing the team back, and then unfortunately throwing it in interception on the last drive that ended that comeback bid and allowed Clemson to eventually move on and win the national championship and on and on you can go. Uh, you know, the Hokies beating Duke three straight times at Castle Coliseum under Buzz Williams wins over North Carolina, beating Michigan state and the Maui Jim Maui invitational earlier this year in Mike Young's first season. Nobody saw that coming. So just, uh, you know, a ton of memories like that, but it's all a part of the, overarching role that I'm in and certainly fortunate to have, but uh, just a small part of of what all our coaches and and student athletes do and administration.
0: Absolutely. Great memories. But you do more than play-by-play. You actually have an in-studio role with IMG as well?
4: Yeah. This day and age, it's just got to be more than play-by-play, more than radio. We do a lot of Facebook Live content. We do a lot, of course, of Twitter content. We try to develop different things for social media. We do pregame pods, we call it, where we're actually interviewing guys while they're warming up for basketball games. We've had various TV shows uh, for IMG, for now Learfield IMG College, Hokies All Access, Virginia Tech Sports Today, Uh, yeah you know these jobs i think as voices of institutions have really evolved into being really multimedia where you're writing you're hosting you're doing play-by-play and and honestly i enjoy that i enjoy being able to do different things and and not just be pigeonholed as a a play-by-play guy
0: yeah so it's very unique um it's like you said, not just the play by play role, you have so many different things that you have to do. And I think that's what makes sports broadcasting so unique. So um, that is John Laser. John, thank you so much for calling into the podcast tonight. It's been a great pleasure getting to talk some sports with you during this um, time of quarantine and social distancing.
4: Absolutely, Josh. It's a podcasting is a forum that we do have left right now. So oh, pleasure absolutely. to be a part of it.
0: I, I'm Hope not sure what safe. I'm gonna be talking about next, but I mean I, I'm just glad <laughs> we were able to get you on so we could talk sports because there's not much sports news left to talk about. <laughs> not right now, but the NFL draft's right around the corner. Yeah, the draft free agency but it, you know a, a lot a lot of things are happening but yeah uh absolutely John hope you stay safe out there sir thank you so much and the Josh Kirby on sports podcast continues right after this. All right, we are back rounding out the show here. Once again, big thanks to John Laser for calling in. Really great interview. Thank you, sir. Wanna also thank Josh Vigna for contributing. Joe Beninati, um, TV voice for the Washington Capitals on NBC Sports Washington. And Charlie Slow's radio voice of the Washington Nationals. Charlie and Joe are among many other DC broadcasters who have come together on Cameo to um, raise money for local DC area food banks. Once again, you can donate by going to Cameo and searching any DC sports broadcaster under the broadcasters tab, or you can text DC sports to 44321. Again, that's DC sports to 44321. Once again, I hope everybody stays safe and healthy. And until the next episode of the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast, we are part of the Mayo Please Podcast Network sponsored by Route 11 Ships. Make sure you find a bag today inside your local Martin's Food Lion and Giant stores. We're also sponsored by PM Plus Reserves. As always, want to give a big thanks to MPT Now Productions, Dave Johnson, and Jr Beats Official. You can find the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast everywhere. You can find podcasts on all streaming platforms via the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast and the Mayo Please Podcast Network. Until the next episode, we say so long and peace out.